Searching for clues to discover God's mysterious plan for your family? Then don't change that dial. Join us now in our discussion of the mystery of parenthood. Here are your hosts, Trey and Stephanie Cashin. Good afternoon. This is uh, Trey. Steph is out on call, and uh, it's me and Thaddeus today. This is not Stephanie Cashin. This is, this not is Thaddeus. Thaddeus. That's right. This is Thaddeus. And um, anyway, I thought we'd. Um, he, Thaddeus has always gave us gave me a a couple ideas, and I, I, there was a deal that came up with Pope Francis and um, about seven great temptations. He's speaking, I think, to the to the to priests, but I think it goes for us too. Yeah, I, I think it's fair to. Hey, and before I don't want to steal your thunder, but before you get rolling, yeah, can you just quickly wrap up the one Holy Catholic Apostolic family? Oh yeah, sure. What we've been talking about the last four weeks. Yeah, so um, so again, as we, as we said, the mystery of parenthood it means that we're meant to make visible, we're meant to be a sign of something <laughs> that we're not. Um, so there's always this sense of signs and symbols. Well, as a family, we're meant to be because the Bible says so. Compares the, it's the wedding feast of of the Lamb as the relationship between Jesus and His Church. Um, the church is often called mother, all all of those things tie it back to being a family. So if that's what's true about the church, and, the, and in addition, the church calls the family to the domestic church. So we've got all kinds of things that say y- y'all are supposed to be a sign to this world of what the church is. And I find it very helpful um, to think that way because – because if you look and think about the church as a family, and then you look at your own family, you can actually learn a lot about way the way the church is. I mean, for example, I've heard I've heard people say, "I wish that the church was harder on so and so for what they did." And my response to to this person that was that was upset was, "Okay, think about your family. If that was your son, as bad as bad as it is, how would you handle it?" Well, I'd give him every chance in the world that I said. I mean, at some point you might you would say, "Get out," but but you would bend over backwards trying to figure out how to do it. So I guess what I'm saying, is, and then all of a sudden she said, "Oh, now that makes sense to me." And, and I, I so I think God wants to teach us um, through our interactions and keep in mind this visible side that's helping us understand the invisible. So one of those things is is if if we're meant to be like the church, then the church is the four signs of the Catholic Church is, which we say in every Sunday Nicene Creed, is one holy Catholic and apostolic. And so we went through the previous the previous couple of weeks or four weeks or however long I guess it would be four weeks, one holy Catholic and apostolic um, ways in which we try um, to foster those characteristics in our own family. So unity being the first. Um, is something that's just tied to you, there's unity in truth and being being together in truth. We talked, as is always the case, unity is really something that's a gift from God who is unity, lasting unity. The only lasting unity is the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right. And so participation in the Mass, participation in the sacraments, sharing in the divine life as St. Peter says, are, the, are are those things that that bring unity. But we also, you know, simple things. We have dinner together. You know, we we uh, we spend time together. Uh, we talk about serious subjects. All those things. Those would all be things that would be kind of one holy. And and again, this shows you how it folds on each other. God alone is holy. So how do we become holy? Well, we become holy by uniting ourselves with the one true God, the Holy One Himself. So holiness is union uh, with Christ and therefore union with the Holy Trinity. Again, the Eucharist would be would be that. But but it's also trying to live a life of virtue, um, trying to compare our unholy unholiness with that and always be able to confront ourselves with what's true. Uh, so confession would be a, a a big part of that. Conf- confronting yourself with with what is true and part of what truth. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I've got to admit that. But 
but God doesn't want to leave me there, and so God's grace is is sufficient. But we're supposed to um, move towards holiness. One holy Catholic. Um, Catholic had to do with with having the presence. I mean, basically having the presence of all that is necessary for salvation, the presence of Christ himself. And so um, we just talked about the need that, that we we need to really study our faith. We need to recognize that that there is something to be said about about pretty much every aspect of our life because of what Christ revealed in that. Also the sense that Catholic meaning universal is is something that um that we even recognize I think we talked about the fact that St. Augustine, one of his big charges against the Donatists, the heresy was you know for the church to be Catholic for it to be universal for it to be the church that is the body of Christ it must be everywhere and so if it's just a regional church it's not the church yeah uh, I think you also talked about um, it, Catholic being that the the faith it, um, is infused into everything the family does it's right. a part of everything the family does it's not just yeah, there's on a Sunday ca- so to speak right there's a cat I think there's a we talked about there being a Catholic way of doing things, yeah. a Catholic way of looking at history, a Catholic way of 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 looking at work, a Catholic way of competing in sports, competing in sports, all those things, and therefore that that really I think is important to remember that. Uh, it, so it's universal, not just in that it's everywhere. It's universal, not that it always applies, but it's universal in that every aspect of our lives, from leisure all the way up, has something that the church would like to say about it. There's nothing that we can do, and it helps us have meaning because we recognize Jesus, God's telling us that all that stuff that seems mundane, all that stuff that seems to be getting in the way is actually the stuff that we're meant to be in the middle of. Right, um, right. And, that, and that's, that's good news. And then apostolic, we talked about the fact that we stand on the shoulders of, of those who've revealed, the apostles who've revealed the faith to us, again, tying back into the truth. But I also think it's important for us to remember that we're meant to be apostolic and to be sent out into the world, that we're meant to be missionaries yeah. as a family, and that we talked about how we should look at who we're proximate to, the the other couples that 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 we see or somebody who we are aware of that's having a struggle that we can just pull up alongside and, and walk with them and hopefully give them a glimpse of, of the reason for our hope. Um, so I don't know if that answer great yeah great summary so um you were saying that there's these um there's there was this article on oh yeah alatea well you said yeah you said you you sent it to me and i think it's a you can go ahead and And it's titled look to the desert to the desert fathers to fight seven great temptations pope tells priests and religious in egypt so he was in egypt at the end of april right on an apostolic visit he met with the Coptic Catholics that are there, and he also met with the Coptic Orthodox, I believe. Wow, yeah. Uh, both communities. But here he was, as you were saying, he was speaking to um, addressing clergy, religious, and seminarians during a prayer meeting at the Coptic Catholic Seminary in Mahdi. And, and the cool thing is, is that I think anytime you look at this, I mean, oftentimes the things are written, and, and you, you have to take into account who the audience is, but... So frequently, when you look at these, I mean, at least when I look at them, I look at things that I'm tempted to do. I look at things that I failed at doing. And so I think it's always something to to kind of put out there and say, while he was talking to them in particular, I think that we could apply it to ourselves individually. Mm-hmm. We can apply it to our families. Mm-hmm. I think these are things that we need to teach our teach our children to, you know, maybe not sit down and go through the seven. Maybe. I don't know. But, but, but. These are all things that come up regularly. If you remember, we always talk about, you know, the, 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 the foundation of this starts with Deuteronomy 6, where we talk about whether we walk, whether you lie down, whether you, you, we, we should be teaching, we should be pointing to God, we should be thinking of what's going on in that child's life at that moment that we can glean something from. Even if it's just, man, God's blessed you, you've done so well in school so proud of you. You ought to be proud of yourself. I'm sure God is, is grateful. I mean, is happy that you've used his gifts so well. It could be that. It doesn't matter. But 
these seven things, it's certainly if they're on the top of her head, they're going to come up because they come up even in our own. So I, I thought it was going to be it was a good idea. Um, so why don't I go through it? You want I'll to read them, it? yeah, and then you can you can start the commentary. Can, yeah, yeah, sure. So the first one is the temptation to let ourselves be led rather than to lead. And remember, he's he's speaking to priests and religious um, sisters and brothers. So he writes. Um, the good shepherd has the responsibility of guiding the sheep, of bringing them to fresh pastures of, and springs of flowing water. He cannot let himself be dragged down by disappointment and pessimism. What can I do? He is always full of initiative and creativity, like a spring that flows even in the midst of drought. He is a father when his children show him gratitude, but especially when they prove ungrateful. Our faithfulness to the Lord must never depend on human gratitude. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. Well, the first thing that jumps out at me, and it did when I first time I read this, which I think is so much the way the church sees it, because the church sees everything at work together. And we always say, we talk about like, we've talked before about the fact that um, that even the people who we serve are being merciful to us because they're letting it, and you don't ever think about it that way. Here he does something similarly when he says, when he says, he is a father, and we are a mother, we are a parent, certainly when our children show us gratitude, but not just also, especially when they prove ungrateful. I, You know, I've that jumped off the page to me. As parents, we need to recognize that we're sharing in, and we should, this is part of the, part of the Holy Spirit in, in your life, and we, you, if you haven't had those moments, pray for them. When you experience the sadness that is when you do something for them and they express no gratefulness, mm-hmm. do you not love them anymore? No. I think it just is a great—it's perfect. It's what God is trying to show us. He allows us to experience what his fatherhood is like, what his—I mean, he's a father. I'm not doing this to, to round it out, but as a parent— we get to experience those times when that that they kind of point us to point us back to God and say, you know, am I always grateful? Um, especially we're like Him when they're ungrateful. Why? Because that's probably more often the case. We're not grateful for all the things that He gives us. So that was something I chuckle at, mm-hmm. but but I find to be. Uh, I find it to be interesting because it's kind of a twist, I think. It's an interesting one for me in that, you know, a lot of times we are told, um, you know, we're supposed to let the Holy Spirit uh, lead us. We're supposed to be, uh, you know, take the yoke of Christ and right. let him lead us in our life. Um, but, here, you know, here he's talking about, he's talking to priests and religious sisters and brothers about not being led, but rather, you know, lead. You, you, right. Your your duty is to lead, and you right. have a particular uh, role or responsibility. You have certain authority, uh, priests. You know, you have certain um, powers, for lack of right. a better word, because of your your holy orders. And you've got to you've got to step out there and. And lead, and, and that's and that's ex- that's and, and, and same in the same way mm-hmm. as a father. You have a particular role and particular kind of authority in the family, and you need to lead. and And the mother has a particular role and a particular kind of authority, and she needs to to lead in her her role too. Right, and siblings, siblings, too, yeah. to lead the older older kids. If you're your oldest years? child, you have a particular role. If you're youngest child, you have a particular everybody fit, place. Everybody fits in there, and it's always it's interesting to find, and it's kind of the way life is. I mean, different times in our family, different people have stepped forward to lead in a given moment. Yeah. Um, I think the thing is, is that this is it from a fa- from a family standpoint. I need to go find it because I talked to Marcel Lejeune a long time ago about this, and he pointed out that that actually being a parent is a canonical office. <laughs> it's actually an office considered by the church. So you are, in some sense, not in some sense, in reality, you are meant to be leaders of your children, not to let them figure it out themselves. Right. And you know we've. 
leading again is is not dragging them, you know, kicking and screaming a certain direction. It's not it's not um, making them do it as we've spent a long time um, talking about parenting in the funnel. That that you're always leading. You're you're trying to get them to to understand why you're doing it. But there's times when you just have to say, because I said so, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But you should be able to articulate at some point down the road why this is it. I think too often parents choose not to lead their kids or they reach a point when they say, well, it's all on them. I think as a parent, even to this day, with with all the children that we have and one graduated from college, I still find myself drawn to and given the opportunity to lead my 22-year-old. Why? Because he needs it. I mean, and so if he asks me a question or if a certain circumstance, hey, I think you ought to do this or I think you ought to avoid that or whatever. And I'm treating him a little differently because it's his his life. But the good news is at 22, I still think he listens to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he I, I still think he takes – he may not do everything that I ask him to do, it's his life at that point. He takes account but, of what you have to but say, he, But he does take account, and you want that with, with your kids as they grow older, at least for them to – you to have their ear. So I think leading leading is not something that comes out of nowhere. I mean, you have to lead them from when they're little all the way up so that you have the opportunity. It's not something like you say, oops, now i got to lead. I mean, um, it's something that, that you do. Now, if you haven't been doing that, you, I, I what I would do if it was me, and, and I and I said, you know what? Now I'm convicted. I want to, I, I want to lead. Start off and say, you know what? I've, I've dropped the ball with y'all. I, I've, I've, I've failed you. And I if think the, the first case, thing you got to do is, if you're, if one is in that situation, is get yourself to get to confession. Right. Go to confession. Take advantage of that sacrament of healing for whatever wounds that. Are there that are maybe have been holding you back from from leading or are getting in the way of you leading? You know, get get that spiritual get your spiritual house in order through that sacrament. I think you're you're dead on right, and I think it kind of gets us to another. He said he talks about this disappointment and pessimism that comes anytime you're in a role of leading and you and you recognize when you failed. And there is this word, you know, what can I do? And I hear parents say that, you know, what can I do? It's already lost or it's already, listen, (laughs) grace elevates nature. If you're a parent, God has given you a child. He promises to give you the graces that you need. Part of the stepping out in faith is even in spite of your weaknesses, even in spite of your maybe extraordinarily evident failings, God wants you to step forward in that. Again, humbly, you don't just jump in and if you haven't been and do it, I, I think asking for forgiveness from God himself, I think the next thing you do is asking forgiveness from your wife, exactly. from your chil- from your exactly. children, and starting there in humility, exactly. not now I'm going to lead, right. <laughs> but say I've, I've, I've failed you, probably your wife first, if that's the case, and then, and then your children. But don't ever say, what can I do? Don't be disappointed to the point of despair. Right. Don't be hopeless. Know that if God's given you children, you're called to be a leader. And so if you're called to do that, which you know by the definition of you have a child that's associated with you, you're guaranteed that God's going to give you the grace. That doesn't mean it's not going to be hard. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be challenging. It doesn't mean you're not going to fail. At times, what it does mean is you got to trust in the Lord and then say, I'll, I'll accept it. And you always got to start humbly. I find that when I get proud as a parent, I fail. When I recognize my failings and I admit them to my kids, they're more ready to admit their failings. When you get into a head-butting match, uh, that usually doesn't work out too well. So, But that temptation to say, what can I do? can easily lead into the second one, which is right. the temptation to complain constantly. It is easy to always complain about others, about the shortcomings of superiors, about the state of the church and society, about the lack of possibilities. 
um, the person who is always complaining is really someone who doesn't want to work. <laughs> I mean, listen to the Pope. I'm telling you, It man. was for this reason that the Lord said to the pastors, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Wow. I mean, I you know, it, it, is, it is easy to complain. And this really goes across not just families, but, I mean, it's easily, easy to get into the looking at it's everybody else's fault. It does stem from at least some point a, a, a sort of helplessness. Somebody else needs to do this. Mm-hmm. What I've challenged myself to do, and I fail, but I, 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 there have been multiple times that I can recall in Stephanie when, when I say, look, I've dropped the ball in this. It's my fault, but I'm going to pick it up. It's my job to, to do what I can do. What I'm asking you is it's your job to do what you can do. No matter how small that is, that that comes from okay, a, a house being a mess because because nobody's done their job or mom's sick and and we let we let it go or mom's out of town and we let it go whatever it is. At some point, you know, I, well, I could have done that, but if we all just did a little bit, then yep. we then we can overcome it. That's a small thing, but I think it actually communicates the fact that we can complain about the way the house looks. We can complain about how the garden looks. We can complain about all this, but ultimately that really doesn't do anything if it doesn't make us move, if it doesn't challenge us to do something about what we're complaining about. It's it's kind of that uh, like that modern – saying of you know if you're not part of the solution you're part of the problem right yeah and i but i but i think it's it is it and i think that is something we should teach our kids if you see a problem i've we've done it before with with them as i look back and it doesn't always work but if if you see a problem and it's bothering you enough recognizing that god's call to you yeah if, if it's really bothering you to do something about it yeah Take do something about it. Right. Say something. Take a step forward. Do something yourself. You know, I the words that come to my mind are the are the word. You know, when when everybody says you need to send. You know, at the after the sermon on the mount, you need to send everybody home. Jesus, there's all these send them home. They're all hungry, and he said, "You feed them." I mean, I think that's. Uh, I mean, there's a problem. You recognize it now. You do it. Mm-hmm. It also points us to. Again, what we talked about, we always got to recognize God's grace. Just like that moment when Jesus says, you feed them, what's their response? Have you? St- we don't have anything. Well, right. we have this little bit, but what is that? Right. Give that to him. Right. So we got to recognize that the God's the one that multiplies. God's the one that generates the sufficiency that we need. So call on God's grace, but always say, I need to do something, not you need to do something. You call. I recognize a problem, and instead of complaining, I'm going to try to figure out what's what part can I play in the solution to that problem. So, and then that same temptation to be led, be led or dominated by circumstances, you know, right. that can lead to what can I do? Throwing your hands up in despair, and can lead to um, saying to just complaining about everything that's wrong. Then that can also tie, lead you into number three, the right. temptation to gossip and envy. Right, it is a great danger when consecrated persons, instead of helping the little ones to grow and to rejoice in the successes of their brothers and sisters, allow themselves to be dominated by envy and to hurt others through gossip. When instead of striving to grow, they start to destroy those who are growing. Instead of following their good example, they judge them and belittle their value. Envy is a cancer that destroys the body in no time. And he quotes Mark, If yep. a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Mark 3, 24 and 25. Yeah, I, I think... Gossip is its means and its weapon. In fact, through the devil's envy, death entered the world. Gossip is its means and its weapon. So we're being, we're being like the devil to the extent that yeah. we do that. I think from a from a parent standpoint, it's one of the things that has always that has always been something that when 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 we see, and this is why it's so important that you see people do good, 
that you catch them doing good, that you show them in those moments that we're proud and that we cultivate a culture of in our fa- we are the Cashins. So anytime something good happens to the Cashins, to one, it happens to all. Yeah. To any time it happens, you know, anything all for bad one, happens. One for all. If bad happens to one, it's happened to all. Meaning that we have to recognize. So I think that's really hard. It's really important to cultivate that when they're younger to, hey, isn't that so great to see what your brother, didn't your brother do great? But you've got to always find those because, you know, I think naturally some people are made, some children may be more gifted than others. You got to find what the other ones are gifted at, but but what you don't want to do is, and this is a balance. This is why being purposeful is important. Okay, it's real easy for the ones that are exceptional at stuff to find that. What what you have to find is when somebody puts in an effort and you recognize that effort, and they've done a good job, but it may not get the glory that the world is giving another one. You have to point that out, and then you have to point it out to the one who's over here so that so that there is a sense we don't fabricate it we don't make it up it's it, it it's real but you've got to catch them doing a small thing so that they can understand that they're going to be recognized for what they do as well and so i think it's i think it's this is one of those things where you want to build a culture of we love each other we care for each other we're not envious of what they are because why because they're that's my brother mhm you know, that's my sister. I want, I want to be proud of them. I mean, and that's kind of the way I was raised, and it is something you have to consciously do because it's very natural for there to be envy. It's very natural, and parents can facilitate either way those things. If they're too focused on the greatness of one and comparing everybody to that, or then, then you can create envy. You have to recognize the dignity of of all the kids and make sure that the ones that maybe don't stand out to the world, you know, that you don't gain the recognition that ever these others are are being recognized by their father and mother and being encouraged and maybe even being pointed out to those who are that. Because I mean, with our six kids, there are various degrees of you know one maybe. Wow, man, really makes good grades. Won't be the great athlete, you know. And then there's always those that are kind of, they have their own special thing, but you have to like point it out to them because they are special. But that's not your gift, you know. Right. Here's your gift. So I may have one that I say, your gift is not being recognized today because of where you are in your age, but you have a gift. You're extraordinary at this. And that's going to serve you very well going forward. The ones that are maybe really good at a at a sport, that's great for now. That draws accolades. And it can be exceptional for later, more for what they had to do to get there than by the accolades because those are going to come to an end sooner than later. But I guess, again, be p- purposeful in trying to draw out, aren't we happy for the success of your brother or sister? And make sure that they're doing that. And and I that's always something that I've I've looked at. And we never allow one and I we failed. I mean, Stephanie, I know I know I have by accidentally comparing one to another on on an unfair playing field, I guess. So uh but again it's part of being purposeful in your parenting is yeah. to keep your eyes open and, and make sure that we're looking for the good stuff. So And <clears throat> parents can help Oh, wow. uh, children avoid number four, which wow. spins directly off what you just said, the temptation to compare ourselves to others. Enrichment is found in the diversity and uniqueness of each one of us. Comparing ourselves with those better off often leads to grudges. Comparing ourselves with those worse off often leads to pride and laziness. Those who are always comparing themselves with others end up paralyzed. May we learn from Saints Peter and Paul to experience the diversity of qualities, charisms, and opinions through willingness to listen and docility to the Holy Spirit. I didn't even, I mean, I read through it, but I forgot that, nice, that was number four. But, but it, again, it is true. And, and one of the things that we've, we've talked about it because it was something that 
we as parents can do it. You can begin to par- compare your family to another family. You can begin to compare your kids to other kids. You can compare your parenting to other people's parenting. And I think it's dangerous primarily because it doesn't recognize at least two things. One, y'all are, each family is unique and unrepeatable. All right. So there's no way to really compare yourself to another one accurately because they're, if they're unique and unrepeatable and you're unique and unrepeatable, there's going to be differences there necessarily, not good or bad necessarily. Um, that's, that's one. The second thing is, is the fact that God, um, gives each group and it's probably flows from this different gifts and talents that they're meant to discover and then to share with others. So it's going to look different. We've used it. We had a, we have good friends and we, when, when we first started kind of parenting, we always used to say, look at their kids are so well behaved. You know, they're so, they, they're quiet when they're, because they, they always respond to the parents. There's no, they're, they're just, they do everything right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I mean, I remember the, the realization of looking at Stephanie and saying, have you looked at the parents? I mean, and have you looked at us? I mean, their kids are just like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and have you noticed that we're probably not the quietest, you know, we're, we're, we're probably not the most amenable all the time. And so if anything, the apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. Right. If there's anything that they need to correct, it's probably because we need to correct it in ourselves. Again, focusing on, and this is just an extension of what we're saying. If you see other people who have that, hey, strive towards that, but don't envy it. Don't compare yourself like I've got to get to there. Learn from them and take what fits to your family to your and, and apply it. We, if we're f- fully holy, if we're fully one, if we're fully Catholic, if we're fully apostolic, we're fully ourselves. And if we're fully ourselves, we should be completely different from every other family that we come across. I mean, we just should. But we should still be holy. Right. So there are people who are musicians, and then there are people who are athletes. There are pe- doesn't matter. What, what, what matters is, is that we're becoming and allowing God in us uh, or through us for us to become what he created us to be, both as individuals and as a family. So we should never be envy and we should never compare like a checklist. Well, their kids are better behaved than us. You know, their kids make better grades than us, than our kids or our kids are smarter than theirs. We should never do that. I mean, I think also number three and number four, the temptation to gossip and envy and the temptation to compare ourselves to others. Those also, um, a way to, to to um, mitigate against those is to stay on message about vocation, about with your cho- about children yeah. discerning their what their vocation is about. Um, kind of like the Pope says, there. What are your what are your qualities? What are your charisms? That what are your gifts? What fruits of the Holy Spirit are manifesting themselves in you? Um, foster that sense of that culture of um, of pondering those things. Absol- you know, encourage them to write about those. Encourage them to pray about those. To know what the fruits of the Holy Spirit are. To know what the gifts of the Holy Spirit are. To pray for those things. And and, being, and as being a parent, yeah, you, I mean, you need to help them. Uh, wow, you're really good at that. We might want to because I think those are that. ways that those are concrete, like little lists that you can use to help your. And we can use this for ourselves too, but right. help children see how holiness can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. Right? There's not one kind of holiness, and that's and that also helps us not just say that well, you know, everything that everyone does is okay. And right, it, exactly. And that, so we so like I mean we because that's not what favorite, the Pope is saying here at all. No, it's not. He's say, he's saying that everybody has you know he's pointed Saint Peter and Saint Paul different charisms. Different personalities, different roads, to different holiness. roads, different everything, but still recognizing that they're all part of Jesus's body. They're they're a member of Jesus Jesus's they're body, trying to form themselves to Christ and not and not compare and themselves, themselves to one another. Yeah, 
I think it's. I think it is. I mean, we've talked about this, and I'm I'm excited that it's coming back. And uh, you know, you don't have to watch it, but American Idol, we used to always point and point to kind of this is saying, listen, a parent's job, and we and this is how we frame it for ourselves. A parent's job is not to tell you you could do anything that you want. A parent's job is to not tell a kid you're great at something when you're not great at it. Right. <laughs> a parent's job is to be truthful and loving truthful in things change. So we, we would show this show where you would have somebody who would get on there and sing. It wasn't even close. They were awful. I mean, they were, I mean, the kindest thing you could say about it is they were awful and they walk out. It's, I'm not talking about somebody who's like a little off. I'm talking about somebody who should never sing. Right. (laughs) And and we point to them and then they walk out and, and inevitably there is a parent walking out saying those people don't know what they're talking about. You're going to be the next great one when you I mean, you're going, no, she's not or no, he's not. And we would look to them and say, do you want us to do that for you? Or would you rather us if that was you say, you know what? You got another gift. There's a there's another gift that you have. And that's. That opens Not also yet. a door to a whole nother debate, you know, a whole nother question of there is an objective reality. Right. You know, you may feel like you're a great singer. You may think that you're a great singer, but there's an objective reality that we can judge and assess of whether or not you are a, a great singer, whether you can hit certain absolutely notes you know like you're either fast or you're not i mean i had a kid that that was that now so there's a couple ways you approach it you could say no but part of this part of this is is i think being somebody who helps people discern what they're good at and as a parent we have to be maybe the first person because i think there's way too much hey give everybody a trophy there's way too much that's not real it's not the way the world is the problem is, is that we think we have to fabricate their greatness. I can promise you every child has a gift, at least one. By definition, they live because they have a gift. Their gift is themselves. It's our job to help uncover it as a, that's, that purposely as parents. What is this child's gift or gifts, and how can we help foster those things? And when do we need to say, I know you really want to do this, but you're either going to have to work at it because you're not good enough at it right now, or have you ever thought about doing this? That's what a parent does out of love. You're not like Simon Cow, who makes fun of them, <laughs> you know, tells them the truth and does it. But you have to frame it. When you frame it in those things, our kids always were welcome to, because we had told, we had taught them, do you want us to just tell you what you want to hear, or do you want to hear from us? the truth in love because we care about you. And in fact, the loving thing to do in many of these people's cases, including the people who had to listen to them would have been to say, don't sing. please." Anyway, I think that's a, I mean, I think that's a, an important point. So number five, the temptation to become like Pharaoh, that can especially grow out of, I think the comparing yourself to others who you see as, you know, they don't have the same talents as as you do, or maybe they don't have the same material circumstances that you you do. They're lesser. That is to harden our hearts and close them off to the Lord and our brothers and sisters. Here the temptation is to think that we are better than others and to lord it over them out of pride, to presume to be served rather than to serve. It is a temptation that from the very beginning was present among the disciples who, as the gospel tells us, on the way, argued with one another who was the greatest, Mark nine thirty four. The antidote to this poison is, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And before you start, Trey, I just want to come back to the fact that, again, the Pope is making a lot of these examples. He's giving these to religious right. priests, brothers, and sisters. And so, you know, these people, they're susceptible to these kinds of things, and, and religious that live in communities, I mean, they can be in, this can be kind of ugly situations, ugly personal situations sometimes, and, and he's saying that even even the clergy and the religious have to, to work on rooting rooting these things out. And it is it is a, I think it's part of our fallen nature. Yeah, it's a, it gets to the heart of what the devil 
what what the what the the fall of Satan and his gets at. God has a plan for each one of us that is specific to each one of us. Our road to happiness is to follow that. In my experience over my 52 years, that plan has frequently deviated from the plan that I had in my in my own mind. There's one of two ways you can go. Or you have de- are, or you have deviated from that from that plan sometimes, right? Well, it's po- it's possible a- I could have deviated a plan and he's bringing me back, but right. there's plenty of times when when I think that we, I shared this with some guys yesterday at a Bible study was just telling them that you know I had I've always wanted to be do more of what we're doing here. I've always mm-hmm. wanted to arrive. I've always wanted to do all these different things, and God has always provided for our family. It's always been a little tighter than I'd like the budget to be. It's always been a little bit having to tr- trust, and and it's always been doing something that. While I like it, and in fact, I love what I do, I always am looking at, I want to do something else. Well, you know, this just recently had this had a circumstance where I thought I was going to be leaving and I had multiple opportunities and several of them were things that I could envision myself doing. It was more in line with my plan, you know, with, with the plan. I was like, okay, God's going to do this finally. He's finally going to do it the way I want to do it. Mm-hmm. And interviewed for these jobs, they were things I wasn't searching. They came to me, so I'm like, okay, that's a good sign. It's not me trying to find it. It's it coming to me. All those things happened, and then all of a sudden, they all, for various reasons, fell apart. <laughs> you know, I had a friend tell me sometimes God just wants to see a couple things. One, are you willing to move if He asks you to? And if He asks you to, and you say yes, are you willing for Him to say no? Actually, I'd rather you stay here. If you don't live your life looking at God being in control and you're not willing to accept what happens and the way it happens and the fact that it's not always the way you want, you can grow hard of heart. My my mother said when we said give some advice to your first child because Trevor was about to be born the night before, and she said be flexible. And Stephanie said can you define flexible? And she said, yeah, start off with a plan of where you're headed and go that direction. And when you end up somewhere else, and you will pretend like that was where you were headed in the first place. And there is some truth to that, while humorous, that God's directing you. And sometimes we fight against it. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we think, he, well, he ought to do it this way. Do you hear any things like you might have kids say to you? Mm-hmm. Well, you ought to do it this way. If you love me, you'd let me do this. You know, if there's so much of that in our in our lives. So, the hardness of heart, that's why we need to we need to struggle with our kids. We want to be after their heart. We don't just tell them this is the way it should go. We have to make sure that they understand it's just for you. I'm redirecting you. I'm stopping you. Whatever I'm doing, I'm challenging you because I love you. And they got to know that. Otherwise, their hardness of heart happens. So not only our hardness, but the kid's hardness of heart can come from feeling like, it's not free love. So it always starts with, in our own case, God loves us. And if he loves us, he may have a different plan. He knows better than I. Yes, Lord, thy will be done, not my own. So anyway. And that leads into number six, the yeah. temptation to individualism. And as you, a, go, ahead. go ahead, you read it. As a well-known Egyptian saying goes, which I think something gets lost in the translation here a little bit, me and after me, the flood, this is the temptation of selfish people Along the way, they lose sight of the goal, and rather than think of others, they are unashamed to think only of themselves, or even worse, to justify themselves. The church is the community of the faithful, the body of Christ, where the salvation of one member is linked to the holiness of all. An individualist is a cause of scandal and of conflict. The salvation of one member is linked to the holiness of all. Wow. Yeah. How often we forget that. And that's so important for us to to have a both and mentality because in in living out what it means to be a domestic church, we got to remember we individually have to have a relationship with the Lord to have any impact. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's addressed to an end. That's a, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
John 15, 5, and thereafter. But apart from others, you can't, we, we need to be in community. We're meant to be in community. In fact, God is a communion of persons, and so he's, he's made it. So that happens on a small scale in, in our own family. We need to break people of selfishness. We need to recognize the needs of others and the fact that we can have an impact in helping them. That's how you break, how do you break selfishness. The great thing about it's here's the great thing about parenting, and the and the catechism even speaks to this, is that God gives us children, among other things, for for our benefit, not for the benefit of the children, for our benefit because it will break us if we allow it to of selfishness. It will make us, or it will give us the opportunity, and and actually the motivation because you know I just remember children. There's a different type of care for them. I mean, it's a different type of love. I guess it's not. It's one is somebody who relies on you, and therefore you tend to pour out your life for them. And so you do things that you wouldn't do if it was just you know Joe next door. You'll do it for your five-year-old. You'll mm-hmm. do it for your ten-year-old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll do it for your twenty-two-year-old. Mm-hmm. So the good news is, is the family itself helps break that temptation to individualism that we're in it. We as a family need to make sure that we do things together. We worship together. Even to this day, if our kids are home, we do everything we can to make sure we all go to mass together, that we eat together, yep. you know, yep. at least on, on every occasion that we can. So again, purposefully work at, it's not all about you, you know, when you have a number of kids, it's real easy to teach that lesson. <laughs> I mean, but when you don't, you still have to actively teach it and give them somebody else to care about. Help them recognize that they have gifts, talents that others don't, and encourage them to share with others. You know, Habitat for Humanity. I mean, go go down and, and volunteer at St. Vincent de Paul. Do something to show them that they're meant to give themselves away and not just be... What's in it for me? And then I know we're down. And then finally, uh, temptation number seven is the temptation to keep walking without direction or destination. Now, that's great your, what your mom said. Right, exactly. Consecrated men and women can lose their identity and begin to be, quote, neither fish nor fowl. They can live with a heart between God and worldliness. They can forget their first love. Indeed, when they lose clear and solid identity— Consecrated men and women end up walking aimlessly. Instead of leading others, they scatter them. Your identity as sons and daughters of the church is to be Copts, rooted in your noble and ancient origins, and to be Catholics, part of the one and universal church. Like a tree that, the more deeply rooted it is in the earth, the higher it reaches to the heavens. Well, I, I love. I would, you know, I love the fact that he he says. You're, is to be cops and Catholics. I would say for me, you know, your identity as are to be Cassians and Catholics. Maybe not in that order, Catholics and then Cassians. Mm-hmm. But but embrace embrace who we are, the gifts that we have, all all of those things. It's I think that's something that um, does it. And I and I like we are not called. One of my favorite lines. It's I mean my. I've said it so many times that my family finally bought for my birthday this, and it's on my thing. You know, action without vision is a nightmare. Uh, I'm sorry. Action without, I mean, vision without action is just a dream. Action without vision is a nightmare. And we have to have something that we're headed towards. We have to have something that we are directed towards. We have to have a plan. So my mom, while saying be flexible, was not saying don't have a plan, was not saying let's point this direction. What she was saying was God may redirect you. (laughs) Uh, He may change your course, except that for that's where I'm supposed to go if if he reroutes you. Are you open to run into a locked door that's no longer open and to be rerouted and go through another open door that's maybe not what you thought of. That's that's actually the great adventure, to be honest. So I guess my point here is we should, and we should help our children, 
say, here's where I see you going, but always be open to what God might surprise you with, what he might redirect you towards. Embrace who you are, become and use and strengthen the talents and gifts that you've been given, but he may use you a different way. I I thought I was going to be a football coach. I thought I was going to be the next Jimmy Johnson, you know, but made the change. It made me learn how to teach. I was afraid to talk in front of two people, even Hmm. young people, petrified Hmm. of speaking. But I wanted to coach so bad that that he gave me that. I learned how to teach as a result of that. Been using that ever since. I'm not coaching anymore. God can take something, use it to get what he needs out of you, past the fear, and head it forward. We all have that story. So anyway, I these seven I thought were extraordinarily <laughs> helpful. I thought they spoke to me, and I think hopefully they'll spoke to, speak to you guys that are listening in terms of kind of where to go from there. Did you have one that was your your favorite or really um, spoke to you? You know, I did. I really didn't. Um, did you? We're coming to a close. But. No, I, I thought they were. I thought they all built on each other. They really like did. You kind of, kind of, you find yourself. It was a marvelous. And you look back and you go, that "Wow, way. that's the next. That's the next thing." So, yeah. um, anyway, I, I would challenge you to go back and listen to this and um, and purposefully parent your kids on that um, and and teach them this way. So. Um, always remember pray parent with a purpose and prepare for God to amaze you and he will God bless thank you for listening to this local production of Red Sea Catholic Radio tune in next week at the same time to hear Trey and Stephanie Cashin share more on the mystery of parenthood